So we are uh, continuing our series in the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel, and we are learning many things from their journey for our own journey. You know, we are learning that God will do as He promised, amen? We're learning that God's going to provide like He said, that God's going to guide like He said, God's going to protect like He said. We're also learning that God does correct and chastise those of His people who go astray. And overall, as we've looked at this, wilderness wanderings is reminding us simply of the importance of faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So in our study, you might say, to borrow the baseball analogy, we are rounding third and headed for home. As we mentioned the other week, we will be killing off Moses soon. Uh, But before we get there, we're going to look at Balaam. Balaam is an interesting character. The Bible, whether... Whether we recognize it or not, the Bible says more about this man, Balaam, than it does about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And there are a lot of people who don't quite know what to make of Balaam. Was he a good guy or a bad guy? Was he a sincere man of God or was he an insincere prophet and preacher? You know, I think it's helpful to note that the New Testament brings up Balaam three different times. And then all three of the times the New Testament brings up this man, Balaam, it's not in a good light. This is not a good man. But I think Balaam is an interesting and powerful story for us because I see many similarities between him and Christians and churches today. Now Israel at this point, like we said, is almost done with their 40 years of wandering. They have just defeated King Og of Bashan. And now Israel is coming for Balak, who is king of Moab. And Balak, as we saw in Brother Charles' reading, Balak is scared. He has seen the power of the God of Israel. And Balak knows that there is no way that he can defeat this people in battle. So Balak has a different idea. Rather than meet Israel head on, Balak decides to call the prophet Balaam to come and to curse Israel. Balaam apparently has a reputation as one who knew the Lord and one who could bless and curse effectively. But you know what we're going to see tonight as we look at the error of Balaam, as we look at this man? We're going to see simply that reputation is not enough. Reputation is not enough. And church, if we want to succeed in our Christian lives, and we want to succeed in making an impact, and we want to succeed in lifting up Jesus, then you and I are going to have to pursue God with our whole heart. So let's look tonight at the error of Balaam. I want to start, Brother Don, instead of going back to verse number one, uh, we see that Balak sent messengers, the elders of Moab. They came, verse seven, they brought the rewards of divination. They brought riches in their hands, and they came and asked Balaam to curse the children of Israel. Verse number eight, the Bible says, and he said unto them, this is Balaam saying to the elders of Moab, lodge here tonight and I will bring word again as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam and God came and unto Balaam and said, what are these men that are with thee? And Balaam answered, Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent them unto me saying, behold, there is come a people out of Egypt, which Covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them, peradventure. I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. As we consider tonight the error of Balaam, can we note first church an empty confession? An empty confession. You know, the error of Balaam was that Balaam was a professional. Balaam was a professional. 
You see, he had a profession that he knew God, but Balaam's relationship with God was professional at best. No, I'm not going to go so far tonight as to say he didn't really know God at all. I mean, there's a lot of pretty direct communication here between God and Balaam. So there was obviously a line of communication there. So I'm not going to say that he didn't really know God, but I am going to say, based on what we're going to see tonight, that this relationship was empty. An empty confession. You know, sadly, I think there are a lot of professional Christians that sit in pews today. What is a professional Christian? A professional Christian is one who does what is expected. They they know what what ought to be, and they know this and that, and so they do what is expected, as other people see. The professional Christian values the external over the internal. The professional Christian leads with the head and not the heart. By the way, there is a huge difference between a relationship that is built with the head and a relationship that is built with the heart. I'm going to tell you, church, it's easy to have it in our head. And it's easy to let it settle there. It's a whole lot harder for you and I to nurture a singular hunger of our hearts after God. I love what what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 8. The Bible says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. In verse number 10, he said that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. You see, the error of Balaam was that Balaam was a man, he was a professional prophet, and that is about where his relationship with God ended. Woe be to us if we are but professional Christians. Woe be to us if our relationship with Christ ends when the preacher says amen and the service is over. Woe be to us if our relationship with the Lord ends with what we hear and we never allow what we hear in our ears and bounce around in our heads to enter its way into our hearts. It was an empty confession. Can I tell you, if what you do on Sunday doesn't affect what you do on Monday, something's wrong. That's an empty confession. The error of Balaam was that he thought his profession was enough. And yet Balaam would find very shortly that his professed status as a man of God was really very empty. The error of Balaam, number one, we see an empty confession. But I want you to see how this continues. Don, let's look at verse number 11 then. Balaam told the Lord, behold, there is uh, uh, verse number 10. It says, and Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them Peradventure, I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. Verse number 12, and God said unto Balaam, read it with me, church, thou shalt not go with them. Pretty clear, right? 
What does he say? Let's, let's start over. Let's do it again. Thou shalt not go with them. In case you were confused, look what he says next. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balaam, Get you to your lamb, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. The heir of Balaam, you see, wasn't just an empty confession. It extended to an empty commitment. You see, Balaam was a man of a double heart. He was a man of a double heart. He, he could not deny what God wanted, and yet he wanted what he wanted. And that was riches. Clearly defined for us in the New Testament, and as we see as they bring more and more riches to come. He couldn't deny what God wanted, and yet he wanted what he wanted. And Balaam was going to do his best to force the two to fit together. I can kind of sense in verse number 13 a little bit of pouty Balaam. Well, you may as well go home because the Lord refuseth to let me come. Kind of like the little kid, my mom won't let me come out and play today. You see a little bit of pouty Balaam there. Why? Because he knew what God wanted. He couldn't deny it. But Balaam wanted what he wanted too. We see it not just in his poutiness. I think you see it in his pestering. Because you know what happens. Rich kings don't like to be told no. And so as you read the chapter, those princes came home and they said, yeah, king, uh, Balaam said no. So what did Balaam do? He went and found even more noble princes. He found even greater people of renown and he sent them with even more riches and he said, go ask again. And so the Bible says that they came back and asked again. Now, let me ask you, is there any question as to what God wanted? No, if I go back up to verse number 12, the Bible says, Thou shalt not curse them, or thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And yet, when the princes of Moab come back, look what Balaam says in verse number 19. He says, Now therefore, I already told you the word of the Lord. I am not to go with you, neither curse this people, for they are blessed. Is that what your Bible says? No. No, that's what your Bible should say. Had Balaam done right, but that's not what Balaam did. What actually happened? The princes of Moab come back. They come back with more money, and the Bible says, Now therefore, Balaam said, I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, uh, that I may know uh, what the Lord shall, shall say unto me more. Any of us, if you've ever had kids... You know how this works. I already told you, no. That's when they go ask the other parent, right? Yeah. Balaam already knew. You see, the error of Balaam, oh, hear me, church. The error of Balaam is that he had his lips pointed in one direction, but his life pointed in another you see, with his lips he claimed to honor the Lord, and yet with his life he wanted what he wanted, and he was going to do his dead-level best to get it. The problem with that, according to James 1 and verse number 8, is that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The problem with that, according to Jesus, is that you cannot live for God 
and yourself. Don, I'm going to flip these verses. Matthew 6, 24. Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot live for the things of God and the things of this world. You can't do it. It cannot be done. Jesus said also in Matthew 15 and verse number 8, he said, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips. But look what it says, but their heart, what is it, church? Their heart is far from me. The error of Balaam is that he thought it was enough for his lips to point one way, but the problem is his life pointed another. Can I say tonight, God's will is pretty clear. This, this thing of living for God, let me make a decision, distinction here. It's not always easy, amen? But really, when you take a step back, God's will is pretty simple. I didn't say it was always easy, but really, if you take a step back, God's will really is pretty simple. You look at God's word. And I'm going to tell you, you don't have to look too hard. You don't often have to think too hard to figure out most issues. You don't have to look or think too hard to know that God wants you to be saved. Not play church, not play religion, not get baptized, get saved. He wants you to get saved. You don't have to think too hard to know God wants you to grow in your faith. And if you're not actively growing in your faith, then you aren't actively in the will of God. You don't have to look too hard to know that God wants you to live pure. To know that God wants you to live thankfully. To know that God wants you to live submissive to the authority that he places over you. To know that God wants you to serve sincerely in the body. That God wants you to give generously. That God wants you to be active in the body of Christ is pretty clear from the Bible. That God wants you to forgive those who have wronged you. We could go on and on and on and on and on. But the will of God, hear me, is pretty clear. The problem isn't whether or not God's will is clear. Can we agree on that tonight? God's will is clear. Here's the problem. So is mine. So is mine. My flesh and my faith do not point in the same direction. And the error of Balaam is that he had his lips pointed in one direction, but his life pointed in another. The error of Balaam is that he wanted to live on the fringe of what God might permit. Boy, if that's not American Christianity... He wanted to live on the fringe of what he thought God might permit. And so you know what? Maybe God has changed his mind about what he explicitly said not to do. Let me go ask again and see what happens. You know, here's the thing. You look at this. When Balaam goes back and asks again, do you know what God says? God says, fine, go. And I thought, I bet Balaam at that point was like, awesome. This is great. But Do you think God wanted him to go? Do you think God wanted him to try to curse the people? No. Balaam thought what he was doing was permissible, but here's the problem. So often what we think is permissible, God calls perverse. 
In fact, you look in verse number 32 at the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord had this to say about what Balaam was doing. He said, wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee because thy way is perverse before me. I can hear Balaam, um, but you said I could go. You see, Balaam, in placing himself on the fringe of what he thought was permissible, had actually placed himself in, in perverse adversity before God. Boy, we would do well to spend less time thinking about what may or may not be acceptable or permissible and spend a whole lot more time thinking about what is God honoring. Because living permissibly, or could we even call it like God calls it, living perversely like this will cost us. I think I saw a story recently, I think it was over in India or somewhere over there in um, that realm of the world, they have those snake charmers. And so they're, they're playing with the snake, as it were. And one of the snake charmers went to kiss the cobra. The cobra kissed him back. <laughs> he won't laughing. here's the thing, if you try to live life on the fringe, you want, you want to play with sin, you want to play with God's will, you will end up getting bit. And it's going to cost you. I think sometimes, and maybe this would be a helpful distinction for us tonight, sometimes we think about our level of commitment before God. God has not called us to commitment. God has called us to surrender. And there is a big difference. When, when I think of commitment, I think of it in terms of how much I am bringing, how much I am giving, how much I am doing. And so I'm committing up to, to a certain point. It, it makes me, as it were, the, the, the standard and the judge, the deciding factor for my level of engagement. But here's the thing. I'm not called to commitment. I am called to surrender. And when I consider myself surrendered, I am no longer the deciding factor at my levels of engagement. He is. Because it is all surrendered to him. And so then it is all up to him. The error of this man, Balaam, is that he had an empty confession. He was a professional at serving the Lord. The error of this man, Balaam, is that he had an empty commitment. He, he couldn't deny God's will, but he also wouldn't deny himself. But the thing is, is an empty confession and an empty commitment will always extract from us a very expensive cost. I want you to see the expensive cost that this man accrued. So God gave him the green light. Verse 20, And God came into Balaam at night and said, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. For yet the word which I shall say unto thee, thou shalt thou do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. And boy, we think we're so safe in God's permissive will. And God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants were with him. 
And you read verses 23 through 27, we see that the ass, the donkey, saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with a sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. The donkey saved Balaam's life. And what did the donkey, what did Balaam do to the donkey? He smote him, smacked him upside the head and turned her back into the way. So the Bible says they went a little farther and there the ass saw the angel of the Lord um, and the angel of the Lord stood in a path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall being on that side. And so Balaam's getting closed in on and he doesn't even know it. And the donkey then thrusts herself against the wall and Balaam's foot gets smushed against the wall of the vineyard. Now the donkey saved Balaam's life, but what's Balaam's reaction? Smack that donkey again. What's wrong with you, stupid beast? Get back in the way. And so they keep going. And the Bible says in verse 26 that the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw that the angel of the Lord was there, what did she do? She fell down under Balaam. And Balaam got so mad, he just started beating that donkey with his staff. Let me point out a couple of things here. The cost of Balaam's empty confession and empty commitment. Balaam's empty relationship with God, it cost him his spiritual insight. He could not see what God really wanted anymore. He could not see what, how God was working. He could not see the danger he was in. The donkey could see it, but Balaam could not. I think another example of this in the scriptures is Lot. Lot, who, who pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot, who eventually found his way into Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot, who eventually found himself in the leadership of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot, who eventually allowed his daughters to marry men of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot, slowly but surely, he, he, his relationship with God became empty. And he could no longer see what God wanted or how God was working or how God was leading. And he had no real idea the danger he was really in. Not until the angels grabbed him and forced him out of the city. I'm going to tell you, church, if we choose to live with an empty confession, Sunday doesn't affect Monday. We choose to live with empty commitment. I know what God wants, but I also know what I want, and so I'm going to try to make the two work together. If we choose to live that way, it will cost you your spiritual insight. Let me ask you, why would God give you more light when you're not doing with, with, with the light God's given you now? God is under zero obligation to give you more light if you won't receive the light he's already given you. Balaam's empty relationship with God cost him his spiritual insight. Balaam's empty relationship with God cost him his joy and peace. Balaam's life here was full of futility and it was full of frustration. Nothing for this man seemed to be working. I finally got the go-ahead from God. I'm going to go to Moab. I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to get the rewards. And I can't even keep the donkey pointed in the right direction. It's so frustrating. Things just won't work right. Balaam met resistance and dysfunction at every turn. The problem was he couldn't see who was at fault. He blamed the donkey. Stupid donkey. Isn't it funny sometimes when our life fills with dysfunction? How we had problems at work and we got problems at home and 
I got problems with those people at church. And my life just seems to be full of drama. All these people, drama, 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 drama. Wait a minute. Have you ever stopped to think who might be the common denominator? Who's there with you at work? And who's there with you at the house? And who's there with you at... Oh, wait a minute. If we stop and think about it, sometimes we realize I'm the common denominator. And I am the problem. I am the source of my own dysfunction. But you know what? When we don't have that relationship with God, when we are blinded to what is going on around us, we blame the donkey. Some of us need to quit blaming the donkey and realize we are living in spiritual blindness. Quit blaming the donkey and see that our empty confession and our empty commitment are costing us dearly. That's the error of Balaam. It's an empty confession that brings an empty commitment that yields an expensive cost. But I don't want to leave you tonight on a discouraging note. We're going to talk a little bit more about the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, next week. So long as baby Timothy still hadn't come, uh, in which case I may not be here next Sunday, but at any rate, I'm going to leave you with an encouraging thought tonight, an encouraging certainty. An encouraging certainty. This is something you can mark it down. You can, you, 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 you can take it home. You can, you can bank on it. I want you to see what happens. Verse number 23, the Bible says, And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, the sword drawn in his hand, and the ass turned aside out of the way. Verse 25, the Bible says, And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself against the wall. Verse 27, And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. Look at verse number 28. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, out, opened the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? By the way, Balaam was so blinded to what was going on in verse 29, he responded to the donkey. Let me give you an encouraging certainty. God's not done working. You hear me? There, there, uh, we struggle, and there's a lot of it out there, that empty confession, that empty commitment. There's a lot of Christians who are being cost. The, the, the cost is dear and, and expensive. But hear me, God's not done working. So even tonight, if you find yourself with an empty confession, you find yourself with an empty commi- commitment, you see tonight, boy, this is costing me. i, I got to do something about it. Let me give you some encouraging certainties tonight. God's not done working. I look at this donkey. Donkeys are known for a couple of things, being Ugly, stupid, and stubborn. That's what donkeys are known for. And yet God used a donkey. How did God use the donkey? Well, here's what happened. All the donkey did was respond to the spiritual truth that had been revealed to it. It saw, it responded, and God used it. And then it saw, and it responded, and God used it. And then it saw, and it responded, even when he was getting beat over the head, and God used it. And then God opened its mouth. The big, dumb, ugly donkey. God opened its mouth, and God used this donkey as no other donkey in the history of the world. I'm going to tell you the encouraging certainty tonight is if God can use a donkey, he can use me. 
If God can use a donkey, he can use me. I'm encouraged because God is simply looking for someone who will respond to the light that they have been given. You know, that is all the donkey did. He received, he responded, and God used him. I'm going to tell you, when God finds a man or a woman who will simply be willing to respond to the light, I don't have all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers. I don't have the training. You don't have to have the training. No one had ever taught the donkey to talk before. You don't have to have the training. But if God has given you light, then you better receive the light. And when you receive the light, God will use you in miraculous ways for his glory. I love what's written in Chronicles. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Now we're going to land the plane, church. I'm going to tell you, in many churches today, and many Christian hearts are living the error of Balaam. A lot of people living out, living there, and, and, and their confession is empty. They call themselves Christian. But I'm going to tell you, if it were brought up before a court of law, they'd probably get off scot-free. Because there ain't a whole lot to back it up. They live with an empty confession. They live with an empty commitment. They live frustrated. They live unfulfilled. And we blame everyone but ourselves. Here's the thing, though. We don't have to live that way anymore. Because if God can use a donkey, he can use me and you. And if God can use five loaves and two fishes, he can use me and you. And if God can use a rooster to get Peter's attention and turn Peter around, here's the thing. God can use me and you. And so it simply comes down to this. Let me ask you, God has spoken. What light has he given you? How has the Holy Spirit spoken to your heart tonight? Where has he prompted you to go a little further? Where has he convicted you to confess and forsake some things? Where has he, where has he burdened you to serve him? What relationship that's not right did he bring to mind? Let me ask you, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you tonight. What are you going to do? With the light that you've been given. Church, that's what separates those whom God uses from those who live the error of Balaam.